part four, Jesus there at the well at Samaria with a Samaritan woman. Very familiar passage to those that have been reading the scriptures. So this is going to be our focal point this morning. Uh, something kind of like this for a ceremonial time, but for a water pot that would come to, to get the water at the well. And we'll talk about that. So John 4, we focus on a water pot is that woman came. She had an incredible need. And you're going to see how it intersects with our life this morning. Um, I want to do a little thing with you. We're not going to read the scripture per se like I usually do where I'll get you to stand because I'm going to be kind of jumping all through John 4, so just open your Bibles there. But I want to do this. There's two questions that I've listed here on your worship guide for you in our time together, and um, I think these are powerful. Number one, what are you thirsting for most in life right now? Some of you say, a drink of water, some sweet tea or something. But I'm asking, let's get a little deeper than that. What are you thirsting? What, what needs to be quenched in your life? And let's look at that. Number one, close relationships. I'm amazed how many people are striving and they're spending money and prayer and energy. And, man, I just desire intimacy and closeness and connection. So close relationship. And that could be like the biggest thirst in your life. Maybe the next one is a closeness with God. I just want to be connected to the Lord God Almighty and know Him and know His ways. I was talking to a friend last night and Don and I were having dinner with them. And they pastor in another city and he was just talking about he was in a church recently or was coming to one, and he says, it's just so sad. It's like they're, they've just checked off the God box. He says, these people are good. Their pastor loves the Lord Jesus. He says, but they're, they're just checking it off. It's like there's no passion. There's no vibrant connection with God. They're just going through the ritual, and people are leaving the church. And he's like, man, where's the vibrancy of the Spirit of God? And I'm like, man, we need closeness with God. The next one is maybe acceptance of who I am. You know, maybe the way you were raised or who you are, even as an adult, you just don't feel very accepted. And the Bible says you're accepted in the beloved. But you, you don't know what it is. You, you, that thirst in your life is, I just want acceptance. God, I want you to accept me. I want others to accept me. I want to be close. The other one is forgiveness. I, I just want forgiveness. I, I want God to forgive me. If somehow I know I was pardoned for my sin and, and that all was well, or maybe I could just forgive myself. Man, that'd be amazing. That, that's what I thirst for, forgiveness. Or maybe it's uh, meaning and purpose in life. Life is like Ecclesiastes. It's just vain, meaningless, repetition. You're just kind of running through the motions. You're like, man, this is not adding up. And the last one was just basic survival in life. Man, you just like, man, I, I just want to make it through to tomorrow. You know, I'm live today and get up in the morning and start again. And here's what I hear a lot. And I hate this, and I don't want to like battle everybody I talk to, but I hear this all the time. Well, you know, Pastor, consider the alternative. I got up this morning. It's like Eeyore. What are you talking about? You got up this morning. My life verse is Philippians one twenty one. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Far better to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ than it is to live in this life. Amen. Well, about four of us agree on that. And the rest of us need to get there. Now, let me tell you, I was longing today. The newlyweds are in the house. They made it back. I couldn't wait to see them. You know what I'm saying? The Van Eggmans are here. Thank God. The who? Yeah. They're here. So I long for that. Now, I want to live life, and I want to live a long, fulfilling life. And I'm not looking to check out quickly. But if I do, Lord Jesus, to be in your presence is what I long for. And I'll be what we all long for. But he's like, well, you know, I'm just I'm another day, you know. Pay taxes. Well, you ought to pay taxes. You go to jail, you bum. You know, do it right. You know, and then I was looking at our hearts. 
Somebody once said our heart is a factory of idols. We produce, erect idols in our heart. Rightfully or wrongfully, and I promise you, if it's not the Lord Jesus, it's wrong every time, and idolatry is wrong, and we build up gods with a little G. And um, I was thinking, we can make gods out of relationships, out of possessions, out of reputations, out of jobs, out of anything. But the one that I think is amazing, and we do it here, we, we've done it to our kids, and I'm all for this, I'm not opposed to this, but I learned about it when Rachel was on staff at a new level as children's minister, she would... Load her, she got a Tahoe. I always wondered why she needed a Tahoe. She had a convertible. It was a cool car. She said, Dad, I need a Tahoe. I feel safe. I said, okay. But when she came back from Sam's, I knew why the woman wanted a Tahoe. It would be filled with, uh, Raymond, your favorite, cheese puffs and, and goldfish. And, and I watch you people. You think you slick. Some of you come in, the first thing you do, you dart down the hall, see if they got them. And occasionally, about once every five months, I go down there and just get a few. Now, I want to do it all the time. Let me tell you why I don't. That's my secret. There, there's a little vanity in that because I don't want to come up here with an orange mouth and orange hands like Pastor's guilty. He's been eating the kids' snacks again. You know what I'm saying? But you know what about a little kid? You ask him sometimes, what do you like best about your Bible class? What do you like best about small group? What do you like best about wiggle worship? And I hate to tell you, they love your hugs and they love Jesus and they're learning and kids are coming to know Christ and that's what we're all about. But every once in a while it happens more than you think. What do you like best about Christ community? Snacks. Just snacks, man. We have snack time. We can make an idol. There was a, a, fa- a father of the faith. His name was St. Augustine. He lived about the 4th century. Very powerful, profound. Really, he was a wicked, sinful, immoral guy and he came to solid faith in Jesus. And he said this, We were made for him. But we were restless until we found rest in him. We were made for him and we were totally restless until we made our rest him in him. And that's what I pray today. You're going to find that that thirst can be met by Jesus. The second question, what do you need to relieve your spiritual thirst? Number one, maybe you need need to accept Jesus Christ, the forgiveness that only Jesus can offer. The Samaritan woman, she sets this up well because she got the forgiveness of the Savior. Secondly, You just need to enter into a personal union relationship with Christ. Not religion, but relationship. Third, you just need to begin to be a God seeker. You seek Jesus and you seek his way and his light and his life and direction in your life. It honors God. Or you just need to learn to reach out to people just like Jesus did. Jesus was always reaching out to people. You know, this water pot, I brought it in today because in this part of the country over in the Palestine area, there are three regions along this 120-mile coast strip. There is Galilee. There is Judea. Guess what's right here? Samaria. 120 miles. You know, they don't have our fast cars and all those things to ride in, okay? So, they, so the shortest point is if I'm going to Judea from Galilee, I want to do what? I want to walk through here. Well, that is a problem. Samaritans are there. They're half-breeds. They're like on the bottom of the food chain. And here's what the Jewish people would do. They would walk all the way around to go to Judea. They weren't about to cross through Samaria. Our story today, the rabbi Jesus, he shows up. He comes straight to Samaria and he sits there at the well waiting on a woman as we'll discover. Like, what? 
a half-breed with a woman, a rabbi, a Jew, a sinful woman, an immoral woman? That's the beauty of Jesus. And let me tell you, I want you to hear this. For a lot of us, we go, oh, this is about immoral women. I mean, hear that lady or hey, it's about women. No, no, no. We're all a part of this Samaritan woman. We all can identify with some part of this gospel narrative today if we'll just listen with our hearts and our minds and our spirits and say, God, talk to us. But this area, there's a, a hate for this ethnic group. I mean, they're a strong hatred. I mean, they're like put down deep hatred uh, like, man, I don't have anything to do with it. And earlier, Jacob possesses the land here. And he digs the well. And he waters and he takes care of his family and animals. And he takes care of this whole little kingdom there. And he's dug a well there. And Jacob, the scripture says, he passes on this well from generation from Jacob to Joseph, the, the patriarch here. It's a beautiful story of history. And then you go into about Egypt. Or they go down to Egypt and in and out. And there's 400 years of bondage and there's silence. And we see our difference between Malachi and Matthew and the Holy Scripture. And yet he says, but then I want to have my bones put back down in Sychar. I want you to take those back down there. And Sychar, let me tell you about Sychar, Samaria. It's like the red light district of Palestine. I wish I could come to your house today and hear you explain the red light district to your kids. It's not family Sunday. So they're not supposed to be in here, but if they are, then maybe be, I had somebody after the last service says, Pastor, thank you. I, I started telling this history. He said, you told us a thousand years of history in about 12 minutes. Dr. Chuck Zimmerman it took, gave me study in seminary. He would have been proud. Actually, he would have been upset because he wanted me to do it for about four hours. But here it is. But Joseph and Isaac, they built altars to the Lord God here in this area. And a lot takes place, but they go to this uh, to this mountain, and it's Gerizim. And there is where they had other altars, because if you read Ezra and Nehemiah, they wanted to go in because they'd been deported. They had become refugees. They'd been kicked out in the whole Assyrian Empire. And it was just an incredible mess, and some were left behind. And then they began to repopulate. But the, the people there, they, they came to them. The Samaritans go, hey, we want to help. If you're rebuilding the temple. We want to help you. And they're like, look, you're a Samaritan. You're a half-breed. You freak, you unsaved, get out of here. So they said, okay, you want anything to do with us? We'll go to Mount Gerizim. And at Mount Gerizim, they begin to worship false gods, little gods with little Gs. And they worship them. They built altars to them. And later in history, you said they smashed down these, these false gods. And they begin to intermarry. And we just had a whole mess. And matter of fact, you look over there today, the Gaza Strip and all that, it's just a, it just continues to be a mess. But just write down 2 Kings 17. If you want to read more about the historical context here, it's very fascinating. I'm just trying to kind of give you the highlights. But they go in because this hostility was great in their minds, in their hearts, in their walk toward the Samaritan people. They, uh, they didn't want anything to do with them. They're like, you know, uh, let, let me say it this way. I'm 50 years old, so I remember this pretty well. In the 60s in Alabama, in the southeast, we're known for a lot of things, House of the Confederacy, racial tension, racial strife, the Selma Bridge, Martin Luther King. We know, we know about it all. I love it. But in the 60s, I remember when segregation hit and how school systems changed. And there's a lot of wrongs that have been right, praise God. And you used to have two water coolers and you had a, a, a water cooler for African Americans, you had a water cooler for whites. And praise God, praise God, we've done away with that mess. Amen. And we become one. There's one true God, Jehovah, that we worship, right? But see, 
if, if you were African-American today, and there are some in the last service, this service, you would say, man, I, I'm so glad we broke it down. Well, in, in kind of a way, we can kind of identify that if you grew up in Montgomery, Alabama. Because when people say, Montgomery, you don't usually think, uh, well, I think diversity. And, and I'm seeing how God's changing the landscape. And I keep praying he's going to change the landscape of our church. And we're going to be more diverse ethnicity, race, uh, color, education, theological beliefs. We do pretty good on that one. Uh, all, all the above. You know what I'm saying? And we just become the body, the, the bride of Christ, that we reach out to Jesus. And we reach out to others on his behalf because he, he's done something in us. But here, they, they go to the well at Sychar, the woman does. Now, let me give me some religious uh, freedom, creative liberties here. They go down to the, to the well, Jacob and Doug this well, and they get water, Okay. Now, how many of you women would like to go get water every day in this big pot and fill it and walk around? Some of you women have already gotten there. What guns I would have if I carried water every day. Well, then go carry your water, okay? My wife drinks that much water every day. She drinks more water than any human I know. I'm so proud of her. She's, and Rachel is second, and Hannah's probably right there with them. And I'm learning to drink water. I mean, I like water, just not a pot full. Because I find if I drink that much water, I hang out in the bathroom all day. But here it is. So they go down, and, and, and they're getting this water. Now, history historians tell us that some of them say they went twice a day, early in the morning and late in the evening, or early evening. And most say they went at 6 o'clock early evening. This woman at the well, we don't know her name, doesn't bother to give it to us. That's not important. It's the act. It's her life. She goes at the sixth hour. The sixth hour is noon now she goes down there at noon can we make this women here it is this is like starbucks down there at sycar okay they're down there having their lattes and they're hanging out and they're gossiping excuse me and they're talking and they're sharing prayer requests you know what i'm saying so you can write above sycar in your bible even starts with an s starbucks okay but they went down there not because they had to have a caffeine fix they went in there because they had to have water for their family but the samaritan woman the Bible says she went at the sixth hour at noon. You know why? Because she was a half-breed. Because she was an immoral, deviant, sexually wicked, mistreated, abused, hurt woman. She went every day to journey to Sychar. She, some historians say that she probably passed by many wells, but she always came by Jacob's well, and she ended up at Jacob's well to get her water. Now, I was thinking about this contextually, and I thought, you know what? I've been to Jacob's well. When I was in Israel, I remember going to Jacob's well. We came to that part of the country, and we went down and over and, and down in kind of this cavern area, and there was Jacob's well. It was amazing. Walked in, thought, man, Jacob dug this well. And it's kind of a shrine area, and you go in, there's still running water in the well. Now, I want to just tell you something about your pastor. We do communion around here, love to do communion. Common cups freak me out. We don't do common cups as long as I'm pastor here, okay? I just ain't sharing germs with you. I love you, brother, but I don't want your germs, okay? I'm down there in Jacob's well. We walk up. Thousands, maybe millions of people over, over the centuries have gathered at Jacob's well. There's an old tin cup. I'm at Jacob's well. I'm having a spiritual moment with my Savior. Everybody's getting a drink from Jacob's well. Everything within me is fighting like, oh, man, I'm going to die. I'm going to have like Montezuma's revenge, you know, and I'm, and I'm praying. 
And this is in the line before I get there. I'm like, God, I can't, but I can't. God, I can't. And I just remember praying this prayer. It's the most powerful prayer I've ever prayed. Lord Jesus, please protect me and take care of me. And I remember drinking from Jacob's well. But it was a powerful experience because, you know, this is where that story took place. This is where they got sustenance for their life. Now, I tell you this because water is very basic. We all need water, don't we? And this woman, she was all hung up. She's just like, literally, I need water. And she needed water. But it's so much greater than that. There was a spiritual concept. Jesus says that you need the living water. We're going to hammer that as we look at John 4. And as you read it on your own, you will see it. But the, where are the disciples? And let's just, I'm going to take you all around. Look at the text with me. I just went through verse 5, said Sychar. I said verse 6, Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired. Y'all, why was Jesus sitting down at the uh, well when the woman got there? Somebody tell me. It's not a trick question. He was tired. Right out there. He was weary. He was hungry. He was tired. He'd been out in the hot sun. The Bible says he was completely God. So he, he took a break. And, and also, from eternity beginning, he knew that the woman was going to come and he was going to interact and he was going to uh, connect with her. Now, where are the disciples? Jesus sent the disciples off. Now, I don't know what you know, but I know the disciples sometimes are misfits. They have attitudes. You know what I'm saying? And these guys, they, there wasn't like multiple roads or you got a helicopter out of there. You came in one road, you came back on another road. You went out, you came in. One road. Have you thought about this? The disciples left Sychar to go get some food. The woman came in to Sychar. I bet they passed on the street. And I bet the disciples had an attitude. I bet they had a disdain for her. You wicked, perverted, sexual, can't get your needs met, whatever. Man, they just probably made fun of her. But King Jesus was going to be sitting at the well waiting on the woman. And yet they would consider her ceremonially unclean. She was a Samaritan, but... She got there, and I think Jesus had the most meaningful conversation, the first meaningful conversation maybe she'd had in decades or years. She came, and she talked to Rabboni, to Rabbi Jesus, and he began to speak to her, and he cared about her because Jesus didn't want sex. He wanted friendship. He wanted to talk to her about the deeper need of her soul and what she needed. I want you to hear this. I forgot to say it last time. Jesus did not care about reputation. Why do we care so much about reputation? Jesus took all his authority and his robe and his titles off, and he was a common savior that met the woman. And yet they would come back and go, oh, you talk to the woman, man, she's a half-breed. Jesus didn't care about that. That woman had a need. He wanted to talk to her. So verses 10 and 16, you see that Jesus confronts her with the truth. Here's what happens. When Jesus Christ comes to you and me, he always confronts us with the truth of who we are of our sin, of our need for our living Savior. And Jesus confronted her. We'll see how he confronted her. But secondly, he always confronts us with who he is. He is authority. He is life. He is the Son of the living God. He is Savior. He is Lord. And some say this, well, that's well and fine, Pastor, but we don't need to interfere with other people's belief systems. Y'all, let me tell you something. That is a lie that has been propagated by the pit of hell. Let's get rid of that. People's eternal souls stand in the balance, and the church of the living Christ has to rise up and has to confront people with the truth and the reality that Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father, and we will go to hell without Jesus. And I said, Amen. 
Now, did I sugarcoat it? You're just going to go ahead and go on the cuff. Joe Osteen. I know somebody just love him. I, you know, I pray for him. I do. I think God uses him. But I'm going to tell you something, guys. When I saw an interview with him a few years ago, I did lose some respect for him. And I would tell him this if he ever cared to want to talk to me. But who am I? I'm a little pastor in Montgomery. It ain't time to sugarcoat the gospel in the, in the house of God. And when people are sinners, you need to tell them they're sinners and they need to turn and repent and receive Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, I don't know where all that just came from. I probably just got some letters on that one, but that's okay. I love Joel. I, I watch him. He, if, you want a, if you want a good feeling, you want to hear some scripture on the light side, man, get it, bro. He's, he's awesome. But if you want me to give you the full gospel of what Jesus said in entirety, hang with me. You know what I'm saying? God, forgive me. I didn't mean to judge my brother, but I'm just trying to give you all the... I better get back to my notes. I'm going to get in trouble. Okay. But I think you hear my heart. We've got to confront here with the truth of Christ. You, you've got to interfere. See, people are lost without Christ. Do, do we understand that now? Without Christ, we don't have salvation. It's not any other name. The, here, the living water in verse 10, let's look at this. It's a metaphor. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It's the metaphor here for, for living water. It's for salvation. It's for abundant. It's for eternal life. But in verse 30 of chapter 4, and that's not part of the text today, this woman has a radical encounter with Jesus. And she goes and she tells everybody about this man that has changed her life, that it's cleansed her soul. And the Bible says, and many believe because of the word of this woman. Verse 7, let's back up to that. Verse 7 says, when Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Jesus found the common interest. Right down there, witnessing, you always have to, you should find a common point of interest when you witness. Oh, you can blast them with the gospel. You can launch gospel grenades. I just don't think it's the most effective. I think you find a point of contact, and when you find common ground, and you begin to share some of your story, and you begin to share a life, and, and, and you pull them in. In, um, in John 3, Jesus told a man named Nick, Nicodemus, Nick, you need to be born again. Here he tells a woman, woman, you need to live in water. So Jesus communicates a need. She knew she needed literal water. Jesus knew her soul needed the eternal, the, the spring of life. It's where the action is. Write this point down about witnessing. Contact happens. Jesus contacts the woman. They, they communicate. They, they share life. She, she's there. She's outcast. She's a wild woman's, woman. She's been embarrassed. She's shameful. She comes at noon because she doesn't want to have contact with other people. Uh, she's probably embarrassed by living together. In that day, even fewer people live together than they do today. In 2009, can I just say it from this platform? When you live with somebody that is not your wife or your husband and you're having relations, they call it sin in the Bible. Hello? I mean, you, you know, I'm just amazed how people are like, brother, do you think it's sin? Well, I don't think it is. I know it is. It's what Jesus says. You, you know, this is what scares me about my faith and probably about yours. When I first got saved over 31 years ago, I witnessed to everything warm. And now, I preach and teach and share, but I don't witness one-on-one near like I used to. I was infected by a man named John Riley that had an incredible impact on my life. Jake Mills, Wells Goble, and Howard Borland. Howard Borland was a man who was a CPA in Birmingham, Alabama. Don and I were in a conference in Gatlinburg. And we went to this conference, and we, out of all these people, all these uh, students and young adults and old people too, I got teamed up with Howard Borland. I don't know how I got so blessed. 
Here's what Howard Borland did, does on the weekends. He's dead now. He's with Jesus. You know what he did on the weekend for fun? He would get the phone book out and call people at random and lead them to Jesus. So we're out witnessing. Now, you've been to Gatlinburg? I've been there many times, spoken in Gatlinburg, done the main streets. We go up in a neighborhood up in Gatlinburg. I'm with Howard Borland. Oh, oh, man. And I'm praying, Jesus, please don't let him be home. I mean, this guy is just, he is crazy. I mean, I thought I was crazy, but this guy, here it is. Go up to, we go up to a house. I can still see it in my mind. Screen door is the only thing open. Hey, turn the TV off. Come here, ma'am. You need to talk to me. Told a woman to cut her TV off and come here. And I'm going, man, ain't right. This, this, is, this is uncomfortable. She comes, and I did start praying. Lord Jesus, shield me, hide me. No. And I was praying, Lord, use him. Use him. The man's crazy. He led her to Jesus. He did that over and over. And I think, man, but here's the point. He made contact. And here's what I want to tell you. I always hear, man, if Brother Adam will just do the right songs, he'll get saved. If you just preach the right messages, ho, 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 hold on. This is an environment to worship the true and living God, and people get born again. But I got to tell you, church, we got to pick it up in here one-on-one and start making contact for the Savior. Mm, people don't like that, do they? You, 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 all of us together, when we make contact, see, I'm going to tell you, this fires me up to see all these empty chairs. I just want to throw up, Ralph, regurgitate, vomit. You know know what I'm saying now? Let's start feeling this because we've been making contact. But somehow, here it is, the woman, well, man, to make contact. Powerful, powerful, powerful. So, verse 9, he begins to, to say here, The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Woman, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She's blown away that Jesus has just... Run right through cultural diversity, racial, gender. He, he's just blown by that. And they call the Pharisees, they, they got a rule, they call them the bruised, bleeding Pharisees. They had a reputation for making up more rules and laws than what Scripture said. And they were so scared of women that when they saw a woman approaching, they would put their head down and bump into walls and be bleeding. Now, can you imagine today, that ain't a problem in America. We, I ain't seen no men lately putting their head down because a woman came in. You know what I'm saying? But it was amazing. They had, they had a rule for everything. But here's these Pharisees, and Jesus is always combating them. But in verse 10, he says, But if you knew the gift of God, let me, uh, let me see if I can find this verse here. Isaiah, write this down. I forgot to give it last service. Isaiah 12, verse 3. It says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy you'll draw water from the wells of the salvation of the Almighty King. So here he is. He says, Offer salvation, offer water. It's that abundant, it's that overflowing tributary that flows out from within you. And in verse 12, I think this is amazing. Are you greater than our father Jacob, asked the woman, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus goes, am I greater than Jacob? I'm Jacob's God. I created Jacob, woman. Now you're saying, of course it say that. Well, you, you know, it probably said that. I mean, he was creator, wasn't he? I mean, can you imagine? Are, are you Jason McHenry? Are you the one married to Amanda? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you kind of just got to shuck it on up, you know, and say, hey, this is who it is. But this woman, she's confused about living water. I, I see literal water, Jesus, but where do you get this living stuff? I am he. I, I am the one. Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, they get spiritually hydrated. They get thirsty. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life in the Son of the Most High God. Abundant, enjoyable, full, overflowing life. 
But here, this woman, painful experience of life. She's been married five times. She's with a man now. He won't even give her his name or a ring. He just wants to have relations, and he wants to send her down there to get the water and do his work. Man, bum. wish we had something about him in here. And, um, but it's not a good situation. But she goes, in verse 15, this woman said, Sir, talking to Jesus, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I want the water of life. Because Jesus confronts her with the depravity of sin. He says, look, woman, the one you're living with, he ain't even your husband. You're shacking up, lady. You, you know, look, it, it ain't right. You need to get it right. Because the woman, hear me, the woman worships men. She doesn't worship God. And she's already proved that she's got a string of poor, pitiful, gone south relationships that hadn't worked. And here's the one that creates relationships, the God of Jacob, the God that wants to be her personal God. And he begins to come. But I want you to see something here that I just saw last night in verse 16. I want you to circle two words. He told her, go. Circle the word go. Go. Call your husband and come. Circle the word come. Go and come back. See, Jesus is always telling us to go. Go and tell your family. Go and tell your lost world. Go and tell them about a great shepherd. And then come. Come and see, come and worship, come and exalt me because I am God. And, and you build on down through here in verse 17. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have is just said is quite true. I think I've like killed the outline, but they're doing pretty good. So she communicated the need for water. She was confused about where to get the living water. Now there's a confession in verse 17. It's a partial confession. How many times do we make partial confessions to Jesus? Because we still want to act like we're some kind of good and he's all holy, but we don't want to totally admit we're totally dependent on him and that's where we get saved. So verse 17, I'm just writing there, there's conviction of the Holy Spirit. Christ presents himself as who he is, the Savior of the world, is Christ. And there's conviction. And because when you have sinned, and we all sin to fall short of the God, fall short of the glory of God. When we realize we're separated from Him, then we're on our way to moving toward that we know we're a sinner and we need Christ. And this lady here, the Samaritan, she, she knew that because there's never conversion without conviction. Write that down. There's never conversion without conviction. It has to be a conviction, separation. So this woman, she's had these uh, chain of unfulfilled relationships. Life's been tough. And what is this woman? She's a spiritual woman. She's just a spiritual woman. She is. She's religious. And when I think about our world today, they say America's a spiritual nation. We are a spiritual nation. We're spiritually confused, but we're spiritual. And the second one, she's, she's ignorant. I didn't say she's dumb. I didn't say she's an ignorant woman. I was ignorant until I was 19 years old. I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I was ignorant of my sin and my separation to a holy God and that Christ came to die for sinners like me. And then, see, she was sexually confused. She's promiscuity had abounded in her life and and that's the way she was treated she wasn't treated with dignity and, and worth and valued as a princess i don't know what her dad said to her when she was little that's just a word to us dads we need to treasure our young princesses and the church said we need to treasure our daughters men in verse 19 you see you're a prophet and they begin to worship her. in verse 21 let's move here quickly jesus declared believe me woman a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in jerusalem you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, 
for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and is now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. That is my prayer for Christ Community Church. That we would be a church of balance. That we wouldn't just be full of truth and we wouldn't just be full of worship or spirit, but we would be full of spirit and truth. And when the two come together, it's a beautiful unification of the spirit and we give exaltation to Jesus Christ. Amen? Worship in spirit and truth. And that's what he's trying to tell her. Worship here. And the last one is consecrated worship, set apart, holy worship is what God desires. And he taught that woman at the well, and he's teaching us thousands of years later, he's teaching us a great lesson this morning. In other words, lady, come face to face with me. I'm the reality of life. I'm the one that will die for your sins because he hadn't died yet. I'm the Savior of the world. John 7, 37 says, Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Living tributaries will well up out of the man or woman that trusts in Jesus Christ. Let me give you a beautiful thing here. It's a quote. It's a prayer by Calvin Miller. It's called, The Lord of the New Agreement. They are yours, these hands of mine. They're dipped into the mire of sin. These feet of mine, they have too long walked in the way, or they have too long walked in their own way. Here, Lord, accept these lips that have dealt so often lies and curses. Is this heart of mine so hardened by spiritual sclerosis that it cannot beat in soft compassion? I bring you so little, Jesus. I'm such an imperfect piece of clay, but the whole mold is yours, God. Let everyone say there isn't much, but let no one say it isn't all. I know that Jesus invites you and I this morning to give our all to him in consecration. Will you bring your fears, your guilt, your guilt to him? Bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that the prayer of Calvin Miller could be our prayer. And I thank you that you teach us that whosoever will come to you, you will in no way cast out. That is the good news of the gospel. So I have a question, as John Riley posed years ago, that I've shared so many times and need to share today. If you died tonight, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? That heaven would be your final resting place? I beg you by the mercy of the Lord God Almighty to receive Jesus Christ, to trust in Him in His blood and atonement for you. Would you like to know your sins are forgiven, that you have life eternal? You can. If that is your desire in your heart today, that you've come under conviction that you're separated from God, would you bow your heads now and in your heart pray this prayer to Him? Lord Jesus, I trust you now, and I receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. You are the only way to God. Take away my sin and guilt today. Make me your child by faith. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming into my heart today. Thank you that you'll never leave me or forsake me. By faith, abide in me. I give you my heart. I receive you as King and Lord. Live your life in me, Lord Jesus. I ask you right now, would you take a spiritual step? And that spiritual step would be to drive a spiritual stake. 
Would you raise hands quietly all across the living room if you just prayed that prayer of repentance and received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Would you raise your hand quietly? Just hold it up. It's called driving a spiritual state. That's what it is to have Christ. Now I pray that we'll go and we'll share and we'll make contact with our lost and loving world until he comes again. I've asked Adam to sing a little song here. Come. Right now, on both sides of the room, don't move. But you can move to the cross. There'll be people there to assist you in spiritual decisions. And Adam, sing this song over us. This altar is open. Come. Come and listen. Come to the water's edge, oh you. Who know and fear the Lord. Come and listen. Come to the water's edge, oh you. Who are thirsty, come. Let me tell you what he has done for me. Let me tell you what he has done for me. He's done for you. He's done for us. Come and listen. Come and listen to what he's done. Come and listen. Come and listen to what he's done. Jesus invites us to come, just as we are. I'm grateful for this story in John 4 where a Samaritan woman made contact with a living Christ that was awaiting her. He seeks after us, and he rewards those that seek him. I pray you'll pursue him, and I pray that somehow God would raise up within us a body of Christ that becomes more vibrant and compassionate and contagious in our witness that we share the living bread, the living water with others. Christ, the Savior, the Lord, 
is here. And I pray he's moving in your heart as we've looked at this, a walk with Jesus. Walk with him every day. Keep him at the center. And know peace. And know your forgiveness in him. Well, that's this Sunday morning as we come to a conclusion of this series. Next weekend, it's going to be a great time. Jason and the student ministry are going to lead us in a powerful student worship encounter experience. I hope you'll be here. Hey, if you know teenagers in the neighborhood, bring them. They'll want to be a part of what's going on here as we launch the fall. Hey, have a great afternoon. See you Wednesday night at 6 o'clock.